know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And surprise, surprise, the, uh, the opening theme didn't work here on the radio broadcast, but we'll add that into the podcast because that's what we do here. We uh, adapt and overcome. We've got to figure out what's going on with this computer. If, uh, if anybody out there is listening from the station, how come I can't play anything on the internet computer? I'd say send me a text or an email, but... <laughs> yeah, your phone's dead now too. 2004 cell phone here because... Uh, Something happened with my cell phone over this past week, so we make do with what we have. All right, well, we are here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And coming up in a few minutes, we'll be joined by our guest for tonight, John Rahner. His website is angelwatchingme.com. And John Rahner has written a number of books about angels, angel experiences, angel mythology and folklore, uh, actual encounters that people have had with angels. So we're going to talk to him about everything angelic which is something that is totally foreign to myself and Moniz because we are no angels. That's for darn sure. See, this is one of those shows where if I had access to the computer or like I was able to plug in my iPod, we'd be, you know, running some Greg Allman as a bumper and, and you know, there's plenty of angel bumpers that we could be using, but we'll just do what we can with what we have. Well, we had a great time last week uh, at Oddfest. And if you missed the show last week, uh, you can check out the podcast as well as the video archive on YouTube, uh, both of which are accessible through SpookySouthCoast.com. And you can watch what went on. We had a lot of fun out there, uh, raised a lot of toys, brought in a lot of toys for Toys for Tots. So thank you to everybody who came out to Oddfest and donated. And of course, it's not too late. They're taking donations here at the studio for, uh, for Toys for Tots. So if you want to swing on by WBSM during the week, you can leave your donation here. Uh, also... Uh, I do want to mention that uh, our hearts go out to our family and friends and listeners uh, around Newtown, Connecticut, with the the horrible tragedy that happened there. And I think this is a good time to have this show about angels uh, because we need a little bit of something positive uh, to get in. So I don't want people to feel like uh, we are overlooking that uh, discussion as well. And and it it did have kind of an odd connection to the paranormal community as well because – uh, not only is that the school that our friend Jeff Belanger attended when, when he was in elementary school, but uh, Art Bell lived in that town when he was a child, too, and went to the whatever was the precursor of that school because, you know, Art Bell was probably born in 1845. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> no offense, Art. But uh, so, there, you know, there is a very strong connection to our uh, paranormal community there, and uh, our, our hearts go out to everyone out there. And I, I don't want to get too much into it, Moniz, because I know um, – you know, I know that we'd be stepping on a little bit of a, a hornet's nest uh, if we start stirring up some of that discussion. So we'll just leave it at that. And uh, you know, you know how if we if we start discussing it too much, the phone lines are going to light up with with people calling in and, and sharing their own thoughts and beliefs. And then I just w- w- that's not the direction we're going to be this going is tonight. Neither the time, the place, nor the show for it. Yeah, but people, you know, when they want to vent, they need to vent. So you can't really stand in the way of that. And uh, but like I said, I, I want to keep tonight's discussion about something positive, which will be angels uh, tonight with our guest John Rahner. So, but before we get into the discussion, I do want to let everybody know that in case you did miss last week's show, and thanks again to Matt Amaral for holding down the fort back here. He becomes the third Matt now to be involved in the show. <laughs> but uh, we want to thank him for holding things down here in the studio and helping us get on the air. It worked out actually pretty well. So um, it did. 
Yeah. yeah. So we're hoping that we can do more remote broadcasts in the future. You know, not too many because we love being here in the studio where you can watch us on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can see what's going on here in the studio. And I know that we have a lot of newcomers uh, who are going to be joining us in the show, uh, in the chat room tonight for the first time. So welcome to all of them. And uh, we will be having our discussion with John in, in just a few minutes. But we did announce uh, on last week's show that our latest Legend Trips event is on sale. And that will be at the Houghton Mansion in North Adams, Massachusetts, April 5th to the 7th. And you've probably seen the Houghton Mansion on Ghost Adventures. And it's been featured on a number of paranormal documentaries on television. Ghost Hunters went there. And a lot of those like world's scariest places, you know, those type of shows uh, often visit there as well. Featured in a number of books. And it's going to be our first ever multiple night event. It's going to start on Friday night. We're going to have a little meet and greet with everybody uh, in the hotel conference room. And we'll have some presentations and things going on then. And then uh, we'll go out and have some drinks together which I'm pretty excited for because we never get that opportunity with our legend trippers to actually just let loose. Uh, so we will do that. And then uh, we'll have some festivities planned on Saturday during the day before the actual investigation kicks out on Saturday night, kicks off on Saturday night. And the Houghton Mansion, of course, is just a mile away from the hotel where we're trying to work out a deal with. And uh, then we'll have our normal legend trips investigation. And then Sunday morning, everybody can wake up and we'll probably all have some breakfast together before we depart and go our separate ways. So it's our first three-day event. And uh, I'm very excited for that because, you know, I, normally these things are so rushed, we barely have time to really interact with our attendees and, and, and to have a little bit of fun around the investigations themselves. So this is going to be a unique and fun event. So definitely, if you want to get involved, buy your tickets now uh, through our website, legendtrips.com. The tickets are $149, and uh, we are going to... Uh, secure that hotel room deal coming up right about now. It looks about it's going to be about one hundred and ten dollars uh, a night for the hotel room, which is uh, cheaper than their their regular rate by far. And uh, we're still working out the details with that. So, uh, but for now, you can purchase your tickets to the event for one hundred and forty nine dollars from legendtrips dot com. And PayPal has been uh, gracious enough to start offering us a service called Bill Me Later, where if you pass their credit check, you can actually spread out the payments uh, over the course of multiple months. Yeah. So you get six months interest free if you want to purchase a ticket now and give it as a Christmas gift either to yourself or to the paranormal fan in your life. Then you don't have to worry about paying for it right away. You know, you can kind of spread those payments out. So, And uh, the Bill Me Later option should be available for all of our events because it's for purchases of $99 or more, which most of our tickets are $99 or more. So there you go works out well so just go to legendtrips.com for more information all right we're going to take a break and when we come back we will have our guest john ronner as we spend the night talking about angels uh, because we need a little bit of positivity here and we're getting close to the christmas holiday so we'll talk about some christmas angels as well coming up in just a few minutes here on spooky south coast hello hey man what? you up no. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. All right. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And joining us on the line now is our guest, John Ronner. He's worked as a newspaper reporter during the 1970s and 1980s, winning awards from the Associated Press and other news organizations. Since the mid-1980s, Ronner has spoken with hundreds of people about their experiences with angels. 
He has discussed his findings in interviews with the Wall Street Journal, Publishers Weekly, and other publications, and in appearances on such national programs as the Phil Donahue Show, The Learning Channel, Sightings, and the NBC special Angels 2. Uh, he's written books such as Do You Have a Guardian Angel, Know Your Angels, The Angel Almanac, and The Angels of Cokeville, and other true stories of heavenly intervention. And he joins us now on the program. Uh, good evening. Here we go. Let's turn him up here. Good evening. How you doing, John? Oh, doing fine. Oh, well, we we are so honored to have you on the show, especially this close to the Christmas holiday. I'm, I'm sure that uh, angels are on the forefront of many people's minds this time of year. Uh, good to be with you, and uh, I think that goes without saying. Yes, I'm uh, looking forward to the program. Now, how is it that uh, somebody who is a newspaper writer such as yourself, I mean, I'm, I'm a journalist myself, but I know that I'm a little bit uh, paranormally bent. I've always been that way, and it just so happened that I was uh, a newspaper writer who had an interest in the paranormal. But uh, how does somebody who starts off as a newspaper reporter become so interested in the topic of angels? Well, like a lot of people in, in journalism, I had a big interest in, in reading in general and uh, 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 paranormal in the in in particular, along, among other subjects. Uh, in the 1960s, I I read um, uh, a book, The Other Side, which which was written by an Anglican archbishop about the death of his son, his attempt to recontact his son through spiritual mediums and so on. I, I didn't uh, didn't go that deep into it, but it was just a subject of interest to, uh, to me, among others. Um, when uh, in the early 1970s, when Raymond Moody came out with his book on near-death experiences that uh, you know caused a sensation around the country, um, like everybody else, uh, I was asking myself, well, what is this? And uh, I was, um, I guess, as a young man at that time in my 20s, I was uh, struck by the circumstantial evidence for the existence of a of a of a spiritual world. It was the first time that I had seen. Um, that I'd come across information that impressed me. Um, I was, I was, um, I, I guess I would say I was impressed by the fact that here you had a wide group, a diverse group of people who were having essentially the same experience, despite different cultural expectations. Uh, at a time when the near-death experience had not had any publicity, nobody really knew much about the phenomenon, although it had been around, of course, as long as human beings have been. Uh, this. Uh, Leaving the body, journeying into the world of light, uh, experiencing a life review, and, and so on. Uh, and at that point, I, um, uh, I, I'd, I'd say a few years later, I came across Billy Graham's book on the subject of angels. And although I thought Graham had done a good job from his perspective, it was uh, more an attempt to try to um, evangelize, and I was more interested in the general information. And so mm -hmm. I got to thinking at that time, you know, what would it be like? Uh, I, what would it be like if somebody actually took Moody's approach to the subject of angels, actually did a journalistic investigation of the subject, just gathering information together, uh, not really attempting to take sides or convert or attempt to to um, uh, favor one group over another? And uh, what would that be like? And so uh, at, I, I began, uh, I guess, the hobby <clears throat> of just collecting information. It went on for a few years, and then finally in the early 1980s, I decided to get uh, to take it to a serious level, and I spent the next 14 months researching uh, systematically and and um, ended up with 140 file folders full of notes crammed with uh, full of, um, you know crammed with information full of notes, 
And uh, Do You Have a Guardian Angel came out in 1985. And uh, really, uh, at that point, it was the first of a series of books. And it took the country really by storm. I, uh, I was really surprised at the reaction. Uh, a lot of people, particularly the younger listeners, don't may not realize how skeptical an age we were living in back in the 50s, 60s, and, and the 70s. Uh, all of that's pretty much turned around now, and, and I'd say uh, uh, public opinion today is far, far more liberal and, and uh, accepting toward paranormal phenomena than it was when I was a young man. Uh, but uh, one of the things that really surprised me most of all about the, uh, the reaction to the first book was um, was that so many of the people uh, reading it were claiming to have had experiences of their own. There were no polls in those days. Nobody realized uh, how widespread the phenomenon was. And, mm-hmm. In fact, at the height of the angel wave in the early 90s, we realized that 69% of the American public were telling Time magazine in the poll that they that they uh, believed in angels, uh, 46% felt they had a personal spiritual guardian, and 30% said they were having interactions with that guardian. So that's my story. Well, but you did mention that the Billy Graham book evangelized uh, angels, and, yes. and that's the problem with angel reports, is that so often they do have that religious bent to them. Exactly. And that that's why I think your work is, is fascinating to somebody like me because I'm not a religious person and I want to know what these creatures, beings, uh, entities, whatever you want to call them may be outside yeah. of the religious dogma that's attached to them. But so when, yeah. when you're talking about angel experiences, I mean, how would you define uh, an angel? Okay. Well, a lot of it depends on that. The term guardian angel is very loosely used by people. It can mean when that comes out of somebody's mouth, before you have a chance to talk to them, you really at that point have no idea what they're talking about. Now, uh, strictly speaking, an angel uh, uh, would be a superior spiritual being, a non-human entity uh, created separately from humanity. At least that's what that was the opinion of the medieval philosophers. And we, you know, for want of a, a better standard, we could use that as our official definition. But honestly, the term angel can mean whatever the, the speaker wants it to mean. For example, there's an entire class of people who feel that their guardian angel uh, is actually um, a departed loved one that continues to look after them. Uh, mm-hmm. In most cases, uh, uh, most cases you'll have contact at the, around the time of death, uh, say between two spouses suddenly separated. And uh, um, a lot of times there's, there might be a crisis apparition where the uh, the dead loved one appears sometimes from miles away to the survivor to to maybe say a final goodbye to um, uh, assure the uh, the one left behind that the the departing one is not in pain and a, a few standard things usually happen and that's about the end of it but in in a minority of cases a relationship begins and um, uh, it, that relationship might last and linger for years, maybe a lifetime. Uh, I spoke to a woman who felt that her late husband continued to make repairs around her house uh, in the same way he made them when he was alive, and that she had various other adventures with her. So uh, that's another popular, that's another popular uh, designation there uh, about, you know, when people say angels, sometimes they have that in mind, and sometimes it could be even less concrete than that. They angelic experiences can just run the gamut you could be a person might uh, experience uh, an angel as a as a a, a being of light uh, like in the near death experience or not necessarily in an nde just seeing an, an angel in his native glory as a superior spiritual being they might hear a voice a supernatural voice warning them uh, guiding them comforting them um, uh, etc et uh, 
they may uh, experience an overpowering hunch uh, that uh, compels them to do something that uh, seems completely illogical at the time. I spoke with a woman who was in a uh, was in a store of some sort, and she she as she was walking out with a with a huge amount of cash with. Uh, for her, at least, it was two thousand dollars, and it pretty much represented all she had. She had an overpowering feeling not to go, not to continue toward the exit, but to just go into a uh, a restroom and stay in there. And uh, she did for some minutes, and then finally came out. And it turned out a robbery had occurred. Somebody had had burst into the entrance uh, mm-hmm. just as she had moved into the restroom. And uh, if uh, you know, if you, her her feeling was that if if she confronted the robber, there was a good likelihood he would have taken all the money. So it goes on like that, and probably the way we're all touched the most, I would say, uh, by angels would be a meaningful coincidence. Uh, I have them all the time, and uh, uh, these are, uh, uh, the skeptics would write these things off as just statistical coincidences, but some of these coincidences are, are so uncanny uh, that uh, we're kind of left uh, uh attributing them to other factors, maybe to angels behind the scenes, maybe to uh, the collective unconsciousness, as, as Jung put it, the idea that all minds at a certain level are joined, uh, different explanations. So then it's possible that uh, people who pass on uh, in the afterlife can become angelic beings and that there, yeah. might, there might also yeah. be angelic beings that exist outside of being deceased people as well? Yes, I mean angels, quote unquote. Uh, actually, the the proper, probably the if there is a proper term, it, it, you know, in the, in in the field of angelology, it's really a one opinion versus another. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say that I guess the the term that I would use uh, to describe a dead loved one uh, would be a guardian spirit uh, acting like a guardian angel. But okay. uh, uh, there would be plenty of instances where people feel that the classic angel is watching over them, a, a guardian angel. So, um, uh, but those are the two major categories. And then, as I said, there's a lot of other ways people feel they're they're touched by the other side. I mean, I've often felt uh, myself personally that the idea of angels and and what we perceive them in our modern times have kind of been shaped by uh, originally going back to say the Renaissance artwork, and it has, and it then has. now to to the movie representations of angels. I mean, is that is that a fair assumption that you know we've kind of taken something that might have been, you know, biblical at the beginning and kind of shaped it into what we think that it is through our modern lens? Absolutely. It's, it's a feedback loop. It feeds on itself. We influence it. It influences us. Um, take, uh, take the idea of angels with wings. If you go back to ancient times, the earliest Judeo-Christian depictions of angels uh, were wingless. Um, Angels gradually, artists gradually began putting wings on angels in their in their work to symbolize the uh, the rapid flight of a spiritual being. Because you know, while we're having this interview in our imaginations, we can go from from you know, you can go from your studio, and I can go from my home office where I am right now, from from there to the to the edge of the universe, and we can do it instantaneously because consciousness is not limited uh, in speed or scope. Uh, when it comes to travel, so those wings were representations, uh, symbols, uh, on the on the part of artists to uh, to depict how fast a spiritual being can move, and the um, uh, the halos uh, were representations of the angel's spiritual body of light, uh, the the aura around an angel. You, of course, when uh, when spiritual beings appear, including angels, they can take different forms. You might see a 
you might see a column of light. You might see balls of light. You might see a, a, a silhouetted figure surrounded by a, a bright shine, and, 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 and on and on it goes. Uh, but the halo, um, uh, which you see uh, painted around the heads of saints and angels, represents the idea that, that to a clairvoyant person, uh, the spiritual body appears brighter and larger, particularly around the head, which is one reason you have the uh, the little stylized ring um, above the angels in medieval art, Renaissance art, as you pointed out, and, and in Byzantine art, of course, where they don't allow three-dimensional representations, you have the two-dimensional golden disc behind the saint's head. Well, I, I don't claim to be a biblical scholar in, in any regard, but uh, from what I understand, uh, those early accounts of angels, they weren't always so to speak, angels. I mean, uh, from, from what I understand, they, they weren't always uh, benevolent beings. Right. Uh, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, you've got, uh, well, it's kind of, to go all the way back to ancient Judaism, um, um, some Bible scholars, I'd say many, possibly the majority, would say that in the, uh, in the early books of the New Testament, there's not really a conception of a personal devil, not yet. Uh, you have a cryptic reference in, the, in, a, in a line in the book of Genesis where it says uh, that the, uh, you know, the sons of heaven saw the daughters of men and were, uh, uh, came down to earth, and that's about it, 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 There's not, no elaboration. Mm-hmm. But that spawned an entire mythology in ancient times about uh, angels falling from heaven, not, not initially because of arrogance. Uh, Lucifer wasn't in the picture at this point. But they fell because of lust. Uh, it was the beautiful mortal women, uh, you know, uh, excited their ardor, I guess you might say, and and about and and some of the heavenly hosts came down. Of course, they were punished in ancient Judaism by by uh, uh, by by uh, Yahweh in many different uh, many different stories. Later on, uh, in even as late as the book of. Um, Book of Job, which is a, a much later book in the Old Testament, you still did not have uh, the concept yet of a personal devil because Ha Ha Shatan, uh, the the I guess you could say the adversary in the Book of Job, is actually taking orders from the Lord. Uh, the book opens with, or early in the book, you have a discussion between God and Ha Shatan about Job and testing his faith and all that, and and it's clear that this actor is a is a courtier. Uh, and takes orders from God. It's not a rebel angel that's that's leading a, an insurrection, and of course uh, that angel then afflicts Job with you know many uh, adversities, uh, which he weathers. Uh, later on, though, uh, uh, during the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews were taken, when when Jewish nobles were taken prisoner uh, by um, by the Babylonian king uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and brought to Babylon as hostages to prevent uprisings against his empire, uh, and then Nebuchadnezzar in turn was conquered by the Persian Empire, and and eventually the Jews were liberated. During that time, the Jewish nobles who were hostages came under the influence of Persians and their and their world religion, which was Zoroastrianism. Only a few, well, maybe a couple of hundred thousand Zoroastrians are still left in the world, mostly in India, a few in Iran. But uh, they had a completely different way of looking at things. In Zoroastrianism, um, you had this uh, spiritual warfare going on between uh, what you might call modern devils and modern angels, uh, and, a, and a personal devil, uh, Ahriman, uh, who led the, the dark angels in, in continuous spiritual warfare against the angels of light that were uh, 
uh, led by the the good god of light, Ahura Mazda. Well, the Judaism came under influence, came under this influence, and began to, to change and shift itself. And eventually, uh, a person, the uh, increasing belief, uh, took root in a personal devil in Judaism, and spiritual warfare became a concept for the first time. And when Christianity came along a few centuries later, about about 500 years later, we inherited this outlook. And uh, and um, you, this is this is is the genesis of this of the concept of spiritual warfare and a personal devil. Now it is worth pointing out that uh, in the mystical or metaphysical view, uh, the idea of a personal devil and and that sort of um, uh, conflict has not been as popular uh, in the metaphysical version of, of reality. Uh, evil is seen as a um, uh, is seen more like the shadow. Um, it, it appears to have substance. Uh, it's, it represents light that's blocked, uh, say by your hand or by your body. But uh, really, it, it doesn't exist. It's just the absence of something else. It doesn't have an existence in its own right. For example, hate would be the absence of love. Fear would be the absence of courage. Uh, ignorance would be the absence of knowledge. So, in in metaphysical thinking. Uh, evil is mostly uh, seen as ignorance. Well, that's how it evolved. Well, I've often heard stories, too, of uh, even today, some of these, and, and you get a lot more reports of angels than we do, of course. We, we've we probably yeah. gotten two or three over the seven years now that we've been doing the show. But uh, even today, they don't seem to be coming down with uh, light and love all the time. I mean, sometimes they do still have that... Uh, that lust for for the human condition. Well, oh yes, let's get back to that. That was the main thrust of your question. Yeah, you were talking about the fallen angels. Uh, of course, Lucifer came along and fell because of of arrogance. So the, the, to to bring it up to modern times, what is this? What is this uh, this um, possibility here that uh, you know? With I guess one of the main criticisms of the near death experience over the years was it was all sweetness and light, all fuzzy. Uh, but uh, the, the critics were asking early on, well, what about what about the unpleasantness? What about the dark side of the force, so to speak, as, as they might put it in Star Wars? And indeed, many people who have near-death experiences have re- reported uh, encountering um, occasionally uh, malignant beings. Uh, for example, uh, uh, we're all familiar by now with the, with the stages of the near-death experience. The first stage is the out-of-body um, uh, Step, and that was the part that impressed me evidentially as, as giving um, uh, tantalizing circumstantial evidence for the existence of a spiritual world. Uh, the second stage, though, is the journey through the tunnel, through the, the darkness, uh, moving toward the light. And it's, it's there that many near-death experiences say that they uh, sometimes glimpse or see uh, spirits that appear to be earthbound, trapped. Uh, they can't ascend. They can't rise. Uh, it's a kind of a spiritualist. Uh, theory there. Uh, they're, they're held down by, you know, perhaps vices or uh, temporary insanity caused by violent death and so on. Some of this crops up in your work. Uh, and then they eventually emerge into the, into the world of light where they confront uh, uh, departed loved ones and also these beings, angel-like beings of light. Um, uh, the question then arises, well, what about... Uh, what about demonic forces? Um, uh, and I would, I would say that uh, I noticed that in the material world, as evolution progresses, more light comes into the universe and also more darkness along with it. There's a balancing uh, uh, that takes place. Um, the, the shadows do appear to be receding, 
uh, but becoming but intensifying. Uh, more light is coming into the world and casting smaller, and the shadows are becoming smaller, but they're becoming deeper and darker. So, uh, but the balance continues uh, as we as we progress. It seems logical to me that there would be um, uh, malevolent beings out there if there are benevolent ones to balance right. them. Yeah, yeah, it would almost have to be uh, by default. But like you said, too, I mean, it could also be uh, created from that void. I mean, we need to have a dichotomy. Uh, that's, yes. that's the way that our mind works, and that's the way that our, our souls seem to work. We want to have that balance. And mm-hmm. uh, I've often... I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I've often thought that, you know, if we if we could separate ourselves from that, we would have less uh, compulsion toward evil. That's right. Yes, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, the the compartmentalization of society actually almost promotes it. Uh, a better balance uh, does tend to keep you. Um, um, does tend does tend to. Um, what am I trying to say? Level things out, of course. Well, we are coming up uh, on the news break, uh, but in the second hour, I'd like to invite some people to call in and, and hopefully share with you some of their own angelic experiences. Uh, and of course, the numbers are five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. One eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. You can email us spooky crew at spookysouthcoast.com or you can jump into the chat room on spooky TV at spookysouthcoast.com. And some of the topics I want to cover uh, coming up in the second hour, John, is I want to discuss the idea of uh, I think that a lot of times people might have angelic experiences, and especially those of us in the paranormal field, and we might confuse them with ghostly encounters. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the differences uh, between those, and I especially want to talk about some some of these. Uh, you know, Christmas-related uh, angel experiences, because it seems like if ever there was a time when we need to have uh, a little belief in miracles, it's close to this holiday, and especially with, you know, the tragedy that happened yesterday. So we'll talk about all that coming up in the second hour following the news. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to check out John's website, it's angelwatchingme.com. It's also linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. And you can check out his books, Do You Have a Guardian Angel? and Other Questions Answered About Angels. Know Your Angels, The Angel Almanac, and The Angels of Cokeville and Other True Stories of Heavenly Intervention. And I noticed, John, uh, that you do have uh, a, 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 like a three-pack download available for people as well. That's right. If they if they go to um, if they go to uh, Amazon, they can download a digitized version of three of the books merged into into one file. And uh, for those for those listeners out there who have uh, who have uh, Kindle, and of course it's easy to download, or um, it's it's it can be done in a matter of, of seconds. Uh, they can access all three books uh, at once, and I think that's over 500 pages full of information and. And uh, each page is is crammed with um, uh, with concise writing. I mean, it, there's no there's no padding. And it's a great deal too. I think I saw it's only two ninety nine. I think so. Yes, that's so you right. Can't beat that. And it's a great gift to to share with people uh, because it's so easy to share Kindle books and and give people Amazon credit to download. So it's a good holiday gift for people, uh, especially those of you out there who who need a little positivity and need a little light uh, heading into the holidays because it is a time when a lot of people have. Uh, some some depression and some issues, uh, including our, our, our friend Brian Harnois, who thankfully was safe this week, uh, and uh, we wish him the best in his recovery. And uh, again, we are coming up on the news. When we come back on the other side, we will talk more with John Rahner about angels. We'll also take your calls and questions, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. And before we go uh, into the news, we have to say thank you to our number one listener, Chris, 
for dropping off our Festivus gifts. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we will be enjoying some of those during the break, I'm sure, and and uh, <laughs> having UFO battles as well uh, here in the Spooky Studio. So stay tuned. We'll be right back coming up after the news with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it doesn't. AM 1420, WBSN presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Check it out, Moniz. I figured it out. Good, good job. I knew you could. It's just so much going on in here that I have trouble sometimes. We do need Costa back. I mean, you've done a great job in his uh, absence, but uh, I, I think you've learned most of the stuff that he does pretty well. I've tried. I mean, uh, I, I probably could spend a little bit more time uh, thinking things out instead of just coming in here at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night and being like, oh, crap, what do I do now? <laughs> but uh, so far, so good. Uh, I'm really dreading. I mean, I'm hoping that I get the opportunity to, to do some holiday fill-in shifts here. Uh, but, you know, my limited availability. But I'm really nervous about having that chance because I I know I'll mess something up. It's different when you come in on a Saturday night and you have no commercials to worry about playing and there are no hard breaks except for the news. But, hey, we figure it out. So uh, if anybody wants to get us a Christmas gift, uh, we're looking for producer. <laughs> Actually, we want our old producer back. So. Yeah, talk to his boss. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will try and do our best to get Matt Costa back here, at least even for a visit would be nice. But uh, I did talk to him uh, this week via text message, so he's doing well. Him and I talk all the time on Facebook and stuff. So. Send, sends his love to the Spooky South Coast family. So all of you, to all of you from the Silent Assassin, he says... Words of wisdom. Because that's what Matt Costa says. All right, let's get right back into our discussion with our guest tonight, John Rahner. Uh, his website is angelwatchingme.com. It's linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well if you want to check out his website during the course of the show. And as, as we mentioned before the uh, end of the first hour, that if you want to purchase his books, uh, do you have a guardian angel and other questions answered about angels? Know your angels, the Angel Almanac, and the Angels of Cokeville and other true stories of heavenly intervention. You can get all three in one download for your Kindle for two ninety nine. So, it, you know, maybe you're giving somebody a, a Kindle for Christmas. You know, the, the Kindle Fire HD is the one of the hot gifts for this Christmas season. And uh, if you want to share that gift with somebody then why not include that book with it, download it for them beforehand. So uh, I actually think John's yeah, calling can, in. I was going to say they can go to our uh, website and order it through Amazon through our website for them and have it shipped to them for Christmas. That's a, that's a great way to do it. So uh, let's go back into our discussion with John. I believe he called in on line one here. Let's... Hi, Hi, John. Hey, hey there. Hi, sorry about that. Must have been disconnected during the news break. We step away from the console, so. Uh, I think I, I think I might have been accidentally disconnected, but uh, all's well that ends well. Well, we have cookies in the studio that one of our listeners sent in to us for for Festivus. So we, <laughs> as soon as we went to the to the news break, we're like cookies. <laughs> so that's, that's how it works here. Priorities. 
That's Absolutely. what I was thinking, yes. So uh, I had mentioned uh, before the beginning, uh, before the news break, the idea that uh, with today's focus on ghosts, especially to our audience and to the paranormal community, uh, there's so much emphasis on ghostly encounters that people may be having angelic experiences and not even realizing it because, you know, it's it, our perception has changed about ghostly encounters that now it's become so commonplace that we're like, oh, yeah, that, that just happened, must be a ghost. And, and we don't consider the possibility that we could be being visited or or you know not to sound corny touched by an angel and so that that's a good that's a good observation and it kind of begs the question what would be the difference between a classic angel and a ghost well we touched on that at the beginning of the program uh, classic angel would be a superior spiritual being that would stand above us on the evolutionary scale the same mm-hmm. way that we stand above the lower forms of life so uh, a, a ghost on the other hand would just be an ordinary human being uh, that made the transition to the other side and essentially uh, remains the same person that he or she was before they passed on. And uh, therefore, um, it's, it wouldn't be too hard uh, to distinguish a classic angel from a, from a, uh, from a classic ghost. Um, an angel would have an enormous spiritual and intellectual power. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would that would be overwhelming and would be completely missing uh, in a ghost. Uh, encountering a ghost might be an unusual and, and sometimes even hair-raising experience or a goosebump-inducing experience, but uh, you would not be left with the with the undeniable impression that you were in, in the presence of something vastly superior to yourself. So, and uh, that would be the difference. So then, uh, that's the hallmark of an, of an angelic encounter: is that it's going to happen with such uh, such a profound. Uh, force behind it that you can't know that it's anything else but it's not it's not exactly. going to be anything subtle with an angel oh there would be there'd be no doubt and and this is this is one reason that uh, near-death experiences who encounter the the classic being of light and we're all still trying to categorize what, what that being of light is but uh, uh, many people including myself note that the descriptions of the being of light are remarkably similar to what you would expect in a, in a out, out of a classic angel but uh, when they encountered the being of light, they, you know, they referred to it uh, sometimes as an angel, sometimes as God, sometimes as Jesus or some other religious figure. They uh, they don't uh, they they automatically assume that this is some sort of extraordinary divine being that they have uh, that they run into. Well, in the first hour, we had discussed uh, a lot of the Judeo-Christian perception of angels, uh, but it's it's important to note that angelic figures do exist in other religions, right? As a matter of fact, they do. I mean, uh, the idea of spiritual guardianship is really universal, and, and and not only does it extend to all cultures, but it really extends to all times in human history. I mean, you can go all the way back to the dawn of human civilization around the river valleys, where the soil was fertile and and uh, human populations began to grow because agriculture uh, uh, began and enabled and supported those populations. In Sumer, for example, which was uh, 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 the first great civilization in the um, in the uh, Mesopotamian Valley, where Iraq and Kuwait are today, uh, archaeologists have dug up uh, small uh, altars or devotional places in the homes uh, where the early Sumerians honored their uh, their departed loved ones, their family members. Uh, you saw a little hint of it. Those of you who remember the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe when he was uh, having a, a terrible time of it because of the evil emperor uh, and found himself uh, imprisoned. Uh, he took, uh, as I recall, there was a scene in which he took comfort by 
looking at some of the small tokens that represented uh, departed family members. Um, uh, but anyway, there's a lot of uh, there's a you can go all the way back through history and see that uh, Romans uh, had a habit of uh, setting a place at the dinner table for uh, guardian spirits called lares, which were the spirits of the ancestors of the family that were considered to watch over the home. Um, and, uh, and so it can take that form also in other cultures. For example, uh, uh, sometimes uh, in Greek mythology, for example, the, the ancient Greek religion, uh, there were uh, numerous thousands, millions of little godlings. They were not quite full-fledged divine beings, but uh, they, the godlings acted a lot like guardian spirits, you might say. Socrates, the, the ancient Greek philosopher, felt he had, a, he had one of these uh, godlings who were called daimons, uh, in ancient uh, in ancient Greek, and one time Socrates was about to turn a corner with his friends, and and they has he hesitated. They asked him why, and he said, "Well, my daimon just warned me against going around that corner." Well, they laughed at him, went around the corner, and were immediately knocked down and uh, jostled about by a group of uh, uh, muddy pigs that were running through the streets. Um, the it is interesting to note that the word the ancient Greek word daimon has come down to us in modern times as as demon, but it just changed the it just changed its meaning. It was not considered demonic uh, by the ancient Greeks at all. It wasn't particularly considered angelic. It was just a godling that uh, that attached itself to you. Uh, and if uh, if a person were uh, chose the right path, the daimon would uh, would benefit him and give him even better advice. And if he chose the wrong path, the daimon would begin to punish him. That was the the way they looked at it. And further east, <clears throat> further east, uh, for example, in Buddhism, you have the concept of the bodhisattva, which is uh, roughly angel-like. The bodhisattvas were um, are mortals who have become so virtuous that they've broken the wheel of karma. They don't need to reincarnate anymore to learn any more spiritual lessons. They've learned everything they need, and they can move on uh, to higher planes of existence. But they voluntarily choose to remain behind in the physical plane, or even to reincarnate in one or more of the Buddhist hells. They have multiple in, in some of the sects of Buddhism, in order in order to try to enlighten and, and uh, help more benighted uh, souls to uh, to continue to rise and evolve. So it's all uh, there's a when you when you get outside the Judeo Christian tradition, the angel doesn't quite look like what we have in our conception, but you still have divine beings acting as guardians. And, and do these other cultures, uh, these other religions, do they have the same approach as say the the Christian approach, where there's the the hierarchy with the archangels and the angels and and the the nephilim and all these different uh, types of angelic beings, or or are they is it more, uh, you know, is it not as structured as it is in, in especially in Catholicism? Well, you have a <clears throat> you don't have you have a you do have a structure of sorts. Uh, for example, in polytheistic religions like Hinduism, you might have uh, or or the ancient Greek religion, you have uh, you have gods and and godlings where the uh, I guess the the gods would correspond to um, the higher angels in the Judeo Christian hierarchy, and the godlings would correspond to the. Uh, to the guardian angels, the individual guardians that get involved in just day-to-day -day mundane matters. So in the Judeo-Christian hierarchy, for example, you have uh, the most popular way of ranking angels, and it's just one of hundreds of different competing opinions about how angels might be organized. Uh, uh, that would be the Dionysian system. It was named after a after a, a medieval writer who called himself Dionysius. He took the name of a very famous character in the Book of Acts, 
that Paul uh, encountered when he was on his missionary journeys through the Roman Empire, you know, founding churches. And uh, uh, because uh, because of that byline, you might say, on the on the product, uh, it gained a lot of currency, got extremely popular, and had had authority <clears throat> that it really didn't deserve to have. Because later, uh, medieval scholars proved that it was a forgery, which was common in ancient times. If you'd write a book or write a treatise or a manuscript or something, you would just put some famous person's name on top of it as the byline. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe to a modern audience. It's it sounds like deception and plagiarism, and uh, but uh, I guess the ancients thought of it as uh, honoring uh, an individual because you'd written something that ref- that you believe reflected their philosophy. Uh, but anyway, bottom line was uh, that was proven to be a forgery. But by that time, uh, Dionysius's system of ranking angels was so popular uh, that it just kind of hung on and continues to this very day is the most popular system for ranking angels. In that, in that uh, organizational scheme, you have uh, nine ranks of angels, and at the top of the heap are the seraphim, the cherubim, and uh, the, the, the three top-ranked angels govern the... Uh, well, they stay within God's inner court, contemplating uh, the divine presence, and uh, um, uh, the, the middle uh, three ranks... Um, they get involved in keeping the machinery of the universe uh, working, and then the lowest three ranks, uh, the principalities, the archangels, and the and the guardian angels, they get involved in the in the mundane day-to-day activities. And the guardian angel, ironically, uh, which is most important to the individual, is actually the weakest and the lowest man on the totem pole in the Dionysian system. There's a little confusion, too, by the way, because before Dionysius' system became popular in the Middle Ages, there was an ancient system in which, uh, and a simpler one, in which some angels, the most important angels, were called archangels, and uh, everybody else was just an angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that This is why we refer today to the mo- some of the most powerful uh, named angels in the Bible, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, as archangels, even though in the Dionysian system, the archangels were the second lowest and the second weakest in the hierarchy. So uh, one one angel writer said, you know, calling Michael and Gabriel and Raphael archangels, isn't that, little, isn't that a little bit like uh, calling them corporals in the army when they should be generals? Mm. And he made, a, he made a point, but the explanation for that contradiction is the fact that that's a remnant of the older uh, system of ranking angels before Dionysius became popular. Now the, now the, the question arises, well, you know, uh, what about Dionysius's system? How valid is it? I personally just consider it another opinion among hundreds out there. I do think that I do think that there is a hierarchy of consciousness in the universe. Um, that would be logical. That uh, I mean, if you look at the physical world, the material world all around us, you see <clears throat> you see a vast chain of beings of uh, in which each step. Uh, on the evolutionary scale leads to more complexity, um, uh, a greater sophistication, a greater ability to deal with the environment, and more intelligence, uh, and and uh, and a higher higher consciousness, and including a higher spiritual knowledge, uh, all the way from the from the smallest subatomic particles all the way up to human beings. It seems that to me that this evolutionary trend would continue. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult for me to believe that we are the most complicated and sophisticated creatures in the, in the, in the universe. So uh, in the unseen realm above us, you would expect that there would be gradations of complexity and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and ability as you move higher. 
Well, we like I said uh, at the beginning of the program, we've been doing this show for we'll be celebrating our seventh anniversary uh, next oh. month, and. Yeah. We have every episode that we've ever done available as a podcast, and uh, in that first year, I think it was like within the first six months of the start of the show, we did an episode that we called our Angels and Demons special, where we mm-hmm. had uh, our our demonologist friend Keith Johnson came on, and uh, he came on with the angelologist from TAPS, the Ghost Hunters from television, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we had a little bit of a debate and a discussion about the similarities and the differences between angels and demons, and it's still one of our most downloaded podcasts seven oh, years right? later. Yeah. So yeah. it just shows that uh, this is something that uh, is, is constantly in the forefront of people's minds. It is a fo- there seems to definitely be a, a more of a focus on angels uh, these, this last decade or so. Do you think a lot of that is part of a, a post-September 11th spiritual awakening, or do you think that it's kind of a cyclical thing? Well, it, it, there is a, there is a, a, a bit of, of, of a cyclical nature to it, but I, I attribute, honestly, I attribute it to the rise, the general rise in consciousness from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lot of light coming into the world now, and, and uh, uh, more open open-mindedness and free thinking uh, than I saw. Less uh, um, uh, society was, to such a large extent, uh, straight-jacketed when I was a young man, you know, in, into accepted ways of thinking and behaving, and we're beginning to move more and more out of that. I do believe, that, of course, that there's always been a vast, vast underground of interest and, and belief in, in uh, paranormal, supernatural phenomena. Well, you had the spiritualism movement of the, of the 19th century, which was an outgrowth of uh, Emanuel Swedenborg's uh, spiritual adventures in the 18th century. And uh, so it, it's never been completely extinguished. But things were pretty bad up until recent decades. Uh, around the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, well, actually in the late 1800s, you had the Society for Psychical Research that was founded by a group of um, Victorian, um, mostly liberal arts scholars, you know, uh, uh, you you might ask yourself, well, why weren't there any scientists involved in that? Well, because in the late 1880s and 90s, any scientists that got involved in, in the SPR would have destroyed their careers instantly. But there's a greater acceptance of spiritual phenomenon today. And I, do, and I don't entirely attribute that just to higher consciousness and freer thinking. There's another factor at play here in, in why paranormal phenomena in general is more accepted than it was. Um, uh, there, there, a lot of a lot of the change that's taking about has come from science itself. This is a this is probably one of the least publicized aspects of this change that's going on. Um, in the late 19th century, uh, scientists were were commonly expressing the opinion that well, we pretty much discovered everything there is to discover out there. They made the same mistake in the 100 years before that too. All we have to do now is just fill in a few little spots here and there, and we've got a complete picture of reality. Well, what was so funny about that was that uh, uh, 10 or 20 years later, that, that well, even less, about 10 years later, that view was completely upended by quantum physics, an entirely new branch of physics that was developed, uh, des- describing dimensions smaller than the atoms, what goes on down there uh, among the subatomic particles. And uh, the early quantum physicists, were absolutely uh, astonished at what they were finding about the, the nature of quantum reality, uh, subatomic reality. Uh, essentially, all of those subatomic particles down there don't behave like matter in the in, in the macrocosmic world where we live. Those little neutrons, protons, electrons, muons, and whatnot, 
they're not discrete little BBs down there that just exist whether we look at them or not. I mean, if I, if I turn my back on the chair I'm sitting in right now, it's still going to be there. But that's not the way the quantum world works. If you turn your back on a proton, so to speak, it goes out of existence. Those little BBs down there, they need us to, to exist. And how they exist, their nature depends on how we look at them. A scientist, for example, can conduct, can conduct an experiment on a photon, just a little bit of light, and uh, if he conducts one type of experiment to look at it one way, it'll act like it'll act like an energy wave. But if he conducts another type of experiment, looking at it a different way, it'll act like a little BB, like a little particle. It it it, it seems to depend on the scientist and his consciousness and his mode of observation uh, to determine what that particle is going to be. This is shocking. In fact, Niels Bohr. Uh, Niels Bohr, one of the pioneers of quantum physics, says anyone who is not shocked by what quantum physics has to say about the world has not understood it. The bottom line is quantum physics suggests that the universe is like a building made of bricks, and each one of the bricks is ghostly. What does that say about the building? Because you and I conducting this interview, we're we're a colony of cells, which are uh, maybe 100 trillion cells. Each cell has oh, several hundred thousand molecules, some of them with a million atoms in it, like a DNA molecule, all working together perfectly and exquisitely. And each one of those atoms, oh, those, say that million-plus atoms in a DNA molecule, is made up of subatomic particles that are not there unless we look at them. They literally stop existing without our consciousness. Now, what does that say about us? Well, the mystics have said uh, throughout the 5,000 years of human recorded history, they have said that the physical world essentially is an illusion and that the intellectual, the mental, the spiritual world, ironically, is the reality. Uh, what goes on in our minds and in our imaginations is what's real. What's going on, on out there in the physical world is an illusion. In fact, the Hindus have called it Maya, uh, uh, the, a very popular name today, uh, and it means the illusion out there. So what I, to, to, to turn this all around and wrap it up, I think what I'm trying to say is that um, one of the reasons that our society is changing its mind is because the intellectual elite of our society is beginning to have second thoughts about this philosophy of materialism, which was so popular when I was young that the physical is all there is, and that uh, uh, consciousness is really just a, uh, just a construct. It's just an, an outgrowth of the physical world. In other words, uh, your consciousness and mine, uh, in the old view, in the materialist view, is like electricity created by a battery. You destroy the battery and the electricity's gone. Uh, but in the metaphysical view, uh, it's the consciousness that creates the physical reality. Consciousness creates the brain. It's the exact opposite. And I, So I don't think it's an accident that society is changing its mind. I think our intellectual elite have been changing their mind as a result of discoveries in science, and that's filtering down to the rest of us, in, and including the media. Well, we are talking with John Rahner. His website is angelwatchingme.com. It's linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to check it out. And you can also jump in the chat room there if you have any questions. Uh, you can also call in 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. And... You had mentioned, John, the idea of, of quantum physics playing a role in this. I also wonder, too, if, as uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Higgs boson particle, and, and there's a lot of talk about this being the God particle, and how, yeah, right. you yeah. know, when, once we can discover this, we feel like we've mastered, you know, the universe here, and, and maybe these <laughs> angelic visits are kind of God's way of reminding us and saying, hey, wait, you guys don't know everything yet. 
Oh no, there's there's a I think there's a ghost in the machine. Yes, I I think that uh, they're not going to be able to. Uh, well, in fact, quantum physics has shown that you can't just neatly deconstruct the universe as, as just a, a soulless machine that's out there. Uh, and that's the, the that's the tension going on between the the, uh, uh, the two camps, the materialists and and uh, the slash skeptics and those who believe in a spiritual universe. The big debate is, and always has been, down through history, what kind of universe do we live in? Do we live in a, a soulless, dead, accidental, meaningless machine, which is the universe? That's what the existentialists believed after World War II. Um, or do we live in a living, uh, conscious universe that acts more like an organism than a machine? Uh, and and the quantum physics, in, in my opinion, has has um, has shifted the advantage uh, to the believers as against the skeptics. I don't think now. By the way, I, obviously, I don't think that the existence of a of a spiritual world uh, obviously has not been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Because if if we had gotten it to that level, there'd be no skeptics. Uh, but I do believe that there is what the lawyers call a preponderance of the evidence. There's more evidence on our side of the scale than on the other side of the scale. And that's why the debate continues, because it's not, it's not conclusive enough to silence the legions of skeptics. Not yet. But I think we're heading in that direction. Well, now we've talked quite a bit tonight about the concept of guardian angels, and you know, you hear every everybody say once in a while, you know, oh, my guardian angel must have been watching over me. Uh, do we all have a guardian angel? Is there somebody uh, in heaven or in the other plane of existence that's always keeping an eye on us? Sorry, go ahead, Moniz. Yeah, I was going to say my guardian angel is Don Quixote. Don Quixote. Well, that's an interesting guardian angel there. Well, uh, uh, questing. Well, that's good. That's a good guardian angel to have, somebody who, who has a goal and and is idealistic and, and insists on pursuing it. Um, I would say that uh, uh, here again we're back in the realm of opinion. Uh, the most common opinion in the Judeo-Christian tradition is that each of us gets a guardian angel at birth. That angel stays with us until death, at which time there's a there's a separation. But you know, I mean, I've talked to hundreds of people, I suppose, over the decades, and uh, some people feel they have more than one guardian angel, and uh, others have told me that they felt they've been watched over in shifts, where somebody showed up, watched them for a while, and and then left. Yeah, and punch the clock, up. and then the next yeah, guy punch, clocks punch the clock. It's, yeah, exactly. And hit the time card. So uh, you know, once again, we're just we're just in the realm of opinion, but that's the most popular one. Would that be a union gig? <laughs> well, the good news—the good news is that uh, in this theory, anyway, it doesn't make any difference whether you're Al Capone or Mother Teresa. You're gonna—you're gonna get a guardian angel, and I, I do—I do think that uh, you know my my personal thought is that we are all watched over. But if that's the case, then how come guardian angels? save some people and not others how come you know we say my guardian angel is looking out for me and then obviously there's other instances where where maybe they weren't that's right uh, uh, David Booth was a Cincinnati office worker and some years ago he had uh, he began having an interesting problem uh, he would have a nightmare every night every single night of a of a um, of a plane taking off uh, from an airport uh, with an engine breaking off, the plane would flip upside down, invert itself, and then come crashing back down to earth into an orange fireball. And he would wake up in a sweat every night, uh, crying. It was it was so uh, disturbing. And uh, after several nights of it, he called the FAA 
and surprisingly, they took him seriously. They started interviewing him. Unfortunately, when uh, visionaries are, by definition, I suppose, using the right side of their brain, which is the the intuitive side, the visual side, it's not the side of it's not the side of the brain, the left uh, side that that documents the facts and the figures and counts and does all that. So he had a lot of imagery, but he didn't have uh, he didn't have identifying information like flight numbers or anything that was that was a part of all that. And uh, he did he did know that it was. Um, uh, uh, he, he did know that it was a DC-10, uh, and I think I think he was actually able to identify it as, a, as an American Airlines flight. But anyway, bottom line was they couldn't narrow it down enough, and American Airlines supposedly had hundreds of flights. Um, he had on the on the tenth night he he had his last nightmare. It never occurred again. Uh, the next morning. Lindsay Wagner was uh, the actress known for her, her intuitive abilities. Was at Chicago's O'Hare Airport about to board a flight, and uh, she had an overpowering feeling not to get on that flight. And even though she had the boarding pass in in her hand for herself, the boarding passes for herself and her mother, she just turned around and walked away, literally from the from the uh, the gangway. And a few minutes later, that uh, that uh, AADC-10 took off, and as it was ascending, an engine broke off. The plane flipped and came back down upside down um, uh, and, and uh, exploded into a, a, a fireball. And over 200 people, all of them on board, were killed. Um, the, uh, the question uh, arises, uh, why, was Lindsay, why was Lindsay Wagner warned, you might say, and others not? Mm-hmm. You know, why do angels go on vacation? And this is a question that crops up uh, continually and always um, particularly whenever there's a great tragedy. Uh, there's no real answer to that question. Uh, people have been asking it for centuries, so it's, uh, it's unlikely I'm going to figure out a way to, to satisfyingly answer it tonight. But I do think that, uh, first of all, uh, in Lindsay Wagner's case, uh, she's known for her intuition. Uh, I strongly suspect the signal goes out. And uh, some some people pick it up and some don't, and I'll go into that in just a moment. Uh, so that's one possibility that the other side is trying to get through, and some people pick it up and some don't. Um, it's uh, a lot of things go. Secondly, a lot of things go wrong in our world all the time, and much of the much of the mistakes are our own doing. I mean, for example, World War II broke out in the 1940s as a result of two decades in which literally millions of Europeans had turned to fascism. And, uh, you know, two of the uh, it, things got to the point where two of the most warlike nations on earth started a, a, a holocaust and a bloodbath uh, that killed, you know, hundreds of millions of people and did trillions of dollars worth of damage before it was all over. That was not God's fault. That was our fault. We did that. Uh, and we, we had to suffer the consequences of the mistakes that the human race made in the 20th century. So sometimes bad things happen simply because we make mistakes and we have the free will to do them. Mm-hmm. But none of this stuff is entirely satisfactory. I will mention one thing, going back to the first theory there about how the, the other side is trying to signal us, warn us, and whatnot. Maybe we pick up the signal, maybe we don't. Uh, a, a researcher by the name of W.E. Cox um, uh, conducted some um, uh, conducted a study of accidents, a statistical study of accidents, and he came to the conclusion as a result of his study uh, that um, 
that there is a drop off, a significant, a statistically significant drop off in ridership of uh, subways, whatnot, on days when an accident takes place. And he called this this statistical phenomenon that kept cropping up in his study accident avoidance. Uh, it's almost as if uh, some people, like Lindsey Wagner, actually get warned, but perhaps others just have a an, uh, just have a, a, a vague feeling or something occurs that stops them from from coming to the accident scene and being hurt. It's it's like the information may be picked up consciously or may even be picked up unconsciously. Uh, to give you an example of that, uh, in the 1950s, the West Side Baptist Church at Beatrice, Nebraska, blew sky high. Uh, one Wednesday night, around uh, right around 7:30, which was uh, slated to be the the beginning of choir practice, and at that time, normally you would have had <clears throat> anywhere from a dozen or more people gathered, you know, in the church, but not a single one of them was there. Every single person showed up late that night, uh, ranging from a few minutes to up to 25 to 30 minutes late. In fact, uh, half an hour went by before they all realized that everybody was intact and unharmed. Um, uh, what happened? Well, it was just a series of coincidences. You know, one person decided to watch the last part of a television program. Another one was finishing an important letter. Uh, another one had a mechanical breakdown, and, and that made that individual unable to get there and also delayed two others who that individual was going to pick up, and on and on it went. Um, so what went on there? Uh, was were, 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 was all of that just a coincidence, or was there a uh, a deeper spiritual reason for all all of those to avoid it? Uh, was that an example of what W. E. Cox called accident avoidance? So uh, you know there won't be any there won't be any satisfying explanation tonight. Tonight, unfortunately, well, I think part of the call for angels and their existence comes from our need to feel like there's there's something watching over us. I mean, we don't want to think that we're out there uh, alone in all of this. I mean, aside from the idea that we want to believe that we were intelligently designed and that there's there's more than what exists uh, on this existence and that there's uh-huh. more for us lying ahead, uh, part of it, too, is we, we, we don't want to feel like we're ever alone. We want to feel like not only is there... Uh, a guiding hand to help us along, but they're doing so because there's a preordained destiny for us. That's right. In fact, what you just described, and what you just described just now in the last minute or two, was what they call ex- existential angst. Existential angst, and and the uh, the problem that the the existentialists made that same complaint uh, early uh, early in the middle part of the 20th century. Uh, they were trying to compensate. Uh, for the fact that they believed they lived in a soulless, purposeless, accidental universe. And what they came up with, which to me is kind of small potatoes, is thin gruel, but they were, they were doing the best they could, uh, given their philosophy. They were saying, well, you know, there's no real meaning out there, and I don't agree with that at all. They're saying there's no real meaning out there, but, but at least we can make meaning for ourselves, which is true. You know, if you were an existentialist, I suppose that would make sense. Uh, but uh, I certainly, um, I would hate to think that uh, I'm 61 years old, so I've seen a lot. I would hate to think that that all of those decades that I spent on Earth, considering all of my ups and downs and trials and errors and strivings and, and uh, triumphs and sufferings, that, that all of that is in vain and all the, all the information that's been stored up in my head about how to live a life uh, is, is, has no purpose ultimately, and that when I breathe my last, it's all gone and over with. Uh, I would, you know, uh, that would be disturbing to me. Well, we are talking with John Rotter. If you have any questions, give us a call, 508 
1-877-996-1420. And uh, no, that's all right. They can still call in. We just uh, we won't let them hang up, John. That's all. We'll be fine. We'll let them hang up on their own. Uh, but if you want to call in, uh, please do so and, and share your thoughts, your questions, maybe your angelic experiences. Uh, John, I want to ask you, as somebody who's been collecting these reports for so many years, uh, what is probably the most profound angel encounter that, that you've ever heard about? Well, I would say that, uh, um, you know, it's kind of interesting that you that you asked that question at this time. Uh, I thought of a, 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 an armed terrorist taking over a, an elementary school in uh, Cokeville, Wyoming in 1986, which I guess relates to the tragedy the country's grappling with right now. Uh, he filled a uh, shopping cart full of explosives and rolled it into school, took an entire school hostage there. And... Uh, uh, including the teachers, and wanted, a, I think, $2 million uh, ransom per child and uh, wanted to have a private uh, audience with Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time in the 80s. And uh, there was a series of, uh, uh, shortly before the bomb accidentally went off, uh, various children in different parts of the room uh, reported seeing uh, spiritual beings, uh, uh, ancestors, who who appeared to them to warn them uh, that a blast was coming and to move to different parts of the room to protect themselves. Uh, as it turned out, the bomb did go off, but uh, because of a, of a string of coincidences, it didn't have near the lethality or the, or the deadliness that it was designed to have. And the only, uh, the only uh, fatalities were, ironically, the bomber and his accomplice. Uh, and and uh, um, uh, that what could have been a huge tragedy uh, was averted. And that was uh, I, I thought that was interesting because of the the fact that uh, different uh, children, unrelated, well, different children not connected to one another, were having uh, visions at the same time, and and also directing those visions, directing them to, to safe spots in the uh, in the room. So there's a lot of this. This ties into what we said earlier in the program about circumstantial evidence. Um, you have a lot of that in in this in this field. Um, uh, my um, my friend Scott Dagenhart, for example, uh, lost his father some years back uh, when he was uh, 17 or 18 years old, and uh, they knew he was dying. But one night, Scott woke up uh, in the middle of a in the middle of a sleep, and he saw his father um, standing above him uh, on the bed in, in in ghostly form, and he sat up in the bed and as soon as he sat up he looked around he realized that he had sat up out of body his physical body he looked back and he saw his physical body lying his head lying on the pillow with his eyes shut and uh as he looked around the room uh he began uh, he realized his father was he realized his father had just died and was there for a final a uh, final goodbye and they began communicating telepathically just essentially at first, at first, they began to have what you might call a, a telepathic conversation, but then eventually they just started dumping thoughts into each other's heads wholesale uh, without, any pro, without any conversational protocol similar to what we're having here right now. Uh, and eventually the father had to go, other beings appeared in the room, so on, and he left. But uh, to make a longer story shorter, let me just say that um, uh, right after the father disappeared, uh, Scott found himself asleep. And the phone rang to wake him up. Uh, was that a dream? Uh, we won't ever know for sure, but the phone call was from the hospital announcing that the father had just died a few moments ago. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So the, the timing of all that seemed to suggest that uh, the Scott was having a, a uh, you know, um, uh, Scott had actually seen his father, and he had other experiences with his father since then. That's a, that's the kind of evidential story that I find interesting. Uh, in this case, that was a crisis apparition. I feel that, think that's what parapsychologists call it. And you also have deathbed visions where people in the last moments dying in the room itself, in the hospital room, will will uh, see uh, departed loved ones appearing or angels, uh, some other um, you know spiritual figures appearing to escort them into the afterlife. Uh, a friend that's of ours. Category, yeah. Are, are you familiar with the concept of electronic voice phenomena? Yes, uh-huh, that's right. Yeah, but I think Scott Rogo, for example, wrote an entire book called Phone Calls from the Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, our... I actually received one. Oh, is that right? My mother. My mother died uh, September 3rd, 2001, and she died in the morning. And that afternoon after I got back from the hospital, I was standing on the uh, porch of my house, and uh, a couple of friends had come over to express condolences, and my cell phone rang, and it didn't really show any uh, ID, which... I thought was strange to start with and I answered the phone and I heard her voice and she used to call me by a specific name nickname and uh, she basically said that she was all right and then the phone call stopped and I you could have pushed me over I'm sure with a with a simple breeze when that happened now yeah how how clear was it the voice extremely clear and I I know my mother's voice yeah yeah, and yeah. A, a friend of ours, uh, Mike Markowitz, is, is an EVP expert, and uh, he he goes into haunted locations with his recording devices and, and captures what he uh, believes to be our spirit voices communicating with him. And on one of these clips, he caught what he believes, and I, I can't deny it, sounds like the gates of heaven. Yeah, uh, because it is it's a very angelic sound, and and it's almost like a, a choir of angels, uh, like you would expect to hear upon uh, arriving. At the gates of heaven, so it, it there does seem to be a definite reach out uh, from the angelic realm to us, uh, and I've got to think, especially this time of year, as we get closer to the Christmas holiday. I mean, everybody, for the most part, they've either got a star or they've got an angel on top of their Christmas tree, and, and angels must be in the forefront of a lot of people's minds now. Do, do we have a, an increase in in angelic visitations and encounters during this time of year? I would say that um, uh, you would expect that. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever measured it statistically or, or done a poll to that effect, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the general principle is what you what you focus your consciousness on expands in your life, and, and what you withdraw it from uh, contracts in your life. You know, the, the medievals, for example, kept diaries called fioretties of times in their lives when they felt an angel intervened. And, of course, when they started keeping the diary, uh, they began noticing things more, and the uh, the angelic interventions became more frequent, and they actually started intensifying. And you see, you you see this phenomena uh, across the board. For example, if uh, people who become interested in in lucid dreaming um, um, will start keeping a log of their dreams, and of course it gets easier. The dreams become more vivid uh, the more you pay attention to them. So yes, I would certainly expect, and around Christmas time, people are thinking about it that it would be. Uh, you would see uh, you would see a, a rise in, in uh, angelic phenomena, and I, and I think also there's uh, uh, there's probably more metaphysical phenomena 
today as a result of the increased belief. Uh, one of the things I think that goes on is like a self-screening. You know what? How can you have such huge numbers of people being believers and huge numbers being skeptics uh, calling in and insisting, well, I've never seen any of this. And when I, in the early days when I used to do interviews, and, and I love it when the skeptics call, it's, it's just wonderful uh, because I like a I like uh, getting involved in a you know a, a positive um, uh, a positive conversation with with people of, of different opinions. But I would get calls from skeptics on the radio shows, and they say, "John, I've never seen any of this stuff," and I don't doubt that because I do think that there's a self-screening mechanism. If you don't, if you think reality is a certain way. Uh, it's going to conform itself to your expectations. And uh, whereas Lindsey Wagner might have gotten that tip, if you don't think that's possible, you might not. Then again, you're also not going to catch any fish if you're throwing your line in a parking lot. <laughs> that's true. Exactly. I hadn't looked at it like that, but a lot of it will depend on uh, how you go about, you know, not just if you're investigating, but where you investigate. Right. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I cover a number of different subjects, and one of the uh, things I re- I've been researching for a number of years, at least over twenty, twenty-five, is um, alien abductions and stuff dealing with aliens. Now, I get a lot of people that tell me that the experience that they have they equate very much like encountering angels that these beings are angel-like what are your thoughts about angels and off-world intelligence well i think that um uh from what little i've I've been able to gather about that i think that uh uh, you've got different uh, different opinions concerning what's going on there you have like the hardware theory that there's actual extraterrestrial visitations uh, you've got the skeptics who say, "Well, there's nothing to it," which corresponds to the the, the problem and the, the you know the debate that goes on in the angel world. And then you've got the metaphysical uh, uh, theory that uh, these are possibly uh, supernatural experiences. And uh, uh, I don't know that you know this. It, it, you got the same situation there that you have in the realm of angels, where it's just not, and and we don't know if it ever will be decided. So that's that's my take on that. I think uh, there was an entire book written on uh, angels and aliens, which I read many years ago, ten or fifteen years ago. It's an excellent, uh, um, excellent reference for anybody interested in the subject. I would think um, I've, I've still got it on my shelf. Oh, I'm familiar with the book. Yeah, it actually is very good. I just wanted to bring it up just to get your viewpoint on it. Yeah, yeah. My my thought is that there, uh, <clears throat> you know. Uh, the basic question, is there life elsewhere in the universe? In my opinion, uh, the evolution of intelligent uh, extraterrestrial life uh, beyond Earth is inevitable. It's just, it's... Uh, well, it's a mathematical uh, certainty if you follow that, the Drake equation. That's what I would, uh, that's what I, you know, in other words, you've got uh, life has evolved steadily over the last 14 billion years. It's moved from, it's moved from physics to camp to simple chemistry to more complicated organic chemistry and the, the the debate is well what happens next with is is it common for life to move on to evolve into biology and i think we're getting to the point in scientific research where we're beginning to realize uh the inevitability 
of organic chemistry evolving into um, into into life. Now, it may be that uh, you know life biology won't be as common, of course, as organic chemistry. We can see that in the physical universe. Uh, right now, I'm reading a particular book on the Fermi paradox. You know, if 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 intelligent life is common in the universe, where is everybody? And uh, a lot of different explanations for that. Um, my 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 pet explanation is that technical civilizations like exactly like ours don't last very long. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about us blowing ourselves up or anything. What I mean is that it, it's a very very short window that we go through because uh, technology is advancing at such an, at such a breathless, unbelievable uh, rate that uh, within just a few decades, our planet is going to be completely transformed. And I don't think people realize how fast things are moving and what, the, what, the, what this planet, if we don't destroy ourselves, what this planet is going to look like in the middle of the 21st century, let alone the latter decades of the 21st century. Because remember, um, you know, I don't know how you could quantify it, but some people, <laughs> some people have said we, we're picking up as much information and technology now in about a decade as was picked up in the whole 20th century, which was no slouch for technological advancement, and that this is compressing further and further as, as technology races ahead. So to get back to the Fermi paradox, I'm saying my, my theory is that, is that um, uh, I could see an extraterrestrial civilization, for example, uh, going into virtual reality and just simply turning the lights out as far as the physical universe is concerned, or they're moving on to something else. So that may may be one explanation for why we see such a void out there. Uh, but anyway, it's it's always fun to speculate. Well, then again, you got people uh, tr- trying to say, well, why don't we hear anything from space and things like that? That's the equivalent of us today saying, you know, we're looking for intelligence here on Earth by looking for smoke signals. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's funny you brought that up because while you started that, I was thinking of, I was thinking of cargo cultists. Uh, expecting to hear tom-tom drums when there are radio waves going in the air around them all the time, and, and exactly uh, right now, even even our own civilization is is beginning to ramp down drastically uh, the production of electromagnetic radiation as we move on to other things. So um, the problem we've got is that a human civilization on this planet a century from now is going to be uh, unfathomable. Um, uh, 200 or 300 years from now, it would be like uh, the difference between a dust mite in your carpet and you. You know, why don't we get in touch with the dust mites that are on our carpet? Well, we know they're there. Uh, they don't really have anything we're interested in. Uh, the science fiction movies notwithstanding, I, it's hard for me to imagine an advanced spacefaring civilization would be interested in mining the Earth, but maybe, I don't know. Who knows? But the problem is, is there's going to be such a gulf technologically between them and us uh, so fast that they would. They uh, it's it's hard to imagine that they might have that they may very well have interest in us if, if if it's a civilization that's not too far ahead of us. But uh, when you consider geological time spans, what are the odds that we would run into a civilization that's only twenty years ahead of us, or thirty, or a hundred? Chances are we'd run into a civilization five hundred thousand years ahead of us, and then we'd be like a proton trying to talk to a 
to a physicist, you know. Well, the good thing is, though, is as we move forward to that, uh, we will have these angelic beings watching over us and helping us along. So we want to we want to thank you, John, for joining us uh, again. John Ronner, his website is angelwatchingme.com, where you can purchase his books. And he has other books, too, as well as uh, his angel books. So check that out, angelwatchingme.com, and it's linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. John, happy holidays to you and yours, and uh, and hopefully we can talk to you again in the future. Same to you, and I appreciate you all having me on. It was a lot of fun. Thank right. you. Have a great night. Uh, all right, uh, that does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with our big December 21st, 2012 post-game show. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> because uh, as long as the world doesn't end, and, and we'll look pretty foolish for booking the show if it does, uh, we will have three Rolly. different guests on. Well, nobody will be around to, to judge us. So uh, we will have our big post-game show where we will uh, analyze some of the theories that were out there and, and what we think that the real December 21st, 2012, uh, w- what it really means. And so uh, we'll, we'll be part of that big consciousness shift next Saturday night uh, right here on WBSM as well as on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I am Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular and definitely hug your families a little bit closer this week for a variety of reasons. <laughs>